What's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 60, and I have my special guest back with me, Mr. Dustin Mills, Detective Mills in the house. What's up, my guy? What's going on? Nothing much, man. What you been out in these streets doing? Man, working, working, working. Working hard. I love it, man. Well, let's work hard in these scriptures, and let's check out chapters one and two, and we finish numbers. We, we wrapped up that book. The book is very sobering because God literally killed off an entire generation because they didn't take Leviticus seriously. God made a pit stop in Leviticus. He says, hey, I'm giving you your purpose. I'm giving you a language, how to speak to me, how to deal with me, how to deal with each other. And if you get my language right, I'll give you my presence. And they said, hey, man, we want this. So God says, okay, I've taught you in the classroom. Now I'm about to take you into the dojo, into the wilderness, and let's put all of these principles to practice. And they feel them, bro. And God doesn't take that lightly. He, he works with them. He forbears them a lot. But it's two major sins that just take him over the edge. One is when he sends them to spy out the land that he promised to them. He sends them into the land and only two come back with a good report. That was a big deal. And the other is when they took the counsel of Balaam and they took the women in and they intermingled with these Midianite women and it took them after foreign gods. And that was basically it. And that was the sin of Baal Peor. And I want us to pay attention to that in Deuteronomy. You're going to see that come up a lot. Beware of Baal Peor. And I really love Deuteronomy because it teaches us history. And this is what grandfathers do, right? They teach their grandchildren history. Hey, when we did this happen, when we did that happen. And if you don't know history, if you don't know where you've been, you can't know where you're going, right? And I think that's the whole point of Deuteronomy. Moses is teaching this second generation how to move properly and how, how to avoid the sins of their past. And so basically, Deuteronomy is a big sermon. And we see that in verse one, it says, these are the words which Moses spoke to all across the Jordan in the wilderness. It is a 11 day journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And so we get slapped in the face immediately. What should have been an 11 day journey takes them 40 years. And this is humbling to me because it makes me think about what sins in my life am I on the 40-year plan because I wouldn't listen to the 11-day plan that God had for me. When you're dealing with God, who's eternal, who is the creator of all time, he's like, look, you want to play this game? One day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day. I got time. Like I got time if you want to get on the 40-year plan or if you want to get on the 11-day plan. That's very convicting to me to know that something that should have took 11 days ends up taking 40 years. And I always try to make this distinction. Deuteronomy, Deutero means second and numos means law. And a lot of times when I say this is a second law, people say, oh, hold on, wait a minute. You're telling me God gave these people a new law. We don't follow the old one. So it's actually two laws. Second can mean two things. Second can mean another and second can mean repeating. And so he's giving the same law 
repeating it a second time for the second generation. And that should make us stop in our tracks and say, wow, God really did kill off a generation and he takes his holiness seriously. And now he has to train this second generation up again, how they are to operate when they go into the land. And so basically our first few verses, a few chapters actually, are giving us a history lesson of where they've been. So we'll swoop down and grab some of these things. But basically what Moses is going to do in the first part of his sermon in his introduction, he gives a preamble and then he just goes straight into their history. So I say, let's grab some of this history as a reminder to us of where they've been. First, we see this should have been an 11 day journey and they have to go 38 plus more years because they failed God in this. But look at verse three. It says in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had commanded him to give them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, and who lived in Heshbon and Og, the king of Bashan. And so remember, those are some of the wars they were fighting leading up to going into the promised land. And a lot of times they got halted where the Edomites wouldn't let them pass by. And we saw other nations wouldn't let them pass by either. And that we said was strategic. God was training them but he also was letting that 40 years elapse too. And so let's look at some of that as we read through here. Look at verse nine. It says, I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord, your God has multiplied you and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand four more than you are and bless you just as he promised you. And so what's that? That's the Abrahamic covenant. God has fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and will continue to fulfill it. Moses says that may he bless you a thousandfold. Verse 15, we remember this. He took the counsel of Jethro, his father-in-law. He says, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens and officers of your tribes. And that's another snippet of history that Moses is giving the people. Why would he give the people that wisdom? He learned that from Jethro. So if you learn something that advances you and you get wisdom from that, what do you do? You pass that on. And so Moses is passing on good leadership skills to the second generation. And also in verse 22, it says, then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back the, to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me and I took 12 of your men, one of each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and they spied out the land and the report they come back with is in verse 35. Let me read verse 34. It says, then the Lord heard the sound of your words and he was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation shall see the good land, which I swore to your fathers, except Caleb. And it says, for I will give the land on which he set foot because he has followed the Lord 
fully. Man, that knocks cafeteria Christianity in the face, doesn't it? God said, Caleb didn't just follow me. He followed me fully. And that really resonates with me. I, I want to be like Caleb. And I want us to have the faith of the people of the second generation where we follow the Lord fully. Not only does that please him, it pleases him enough for it to make Deuteronomy. It makes scripture when you follow the Lord fully. And that's really the battleground for every Christian, not to just pick and choose how you want to follow God. I think Satan doesn't mind that we obey him some. He just doesn't want us to obey him fully. What comes up in your thinking with this challenge of obeying the Lord fully? And how was Caleb able to crack that code? Man, I really think that it's interesting when, when we were just reading this, I had a, a picture in my mind of Caleb and Joshua when they went to go spy out the land. And they looked around, they saw all the same things that the other people saw. But then they reached back in the memory bank and said, God sent us over here. He parted the Red Sea. He rained down manna. He did all these different things. These giants ain't got nothing on God. And so by faith, they knew that God could handle that situation too. Part of, I believe, fully following the Lord isn't just keeping some rules. Yeah. It's trusting him fully, even in our failures. Amen, bro. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they reached in their memory banks. And that's powerful to me because... You don't activate faith with a feeling. You activate faith with your memory. Like your memory, you have to grab knowledge and remind yourself of what God said. And you're looking through another lens. They look through their eyeballs. That lens showed them reality. And faith was another lens that they looked through that superseded reality. Even though what you see says this, God says this. The other people didn't take that second step. They just stopped at what they saw and they gave a report on what they saw. Was it an accurate report? Yeah, it was very accurate. Man, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. But God said that their report was evil. And that's amazing to me. A wicked report for saying accurately what they saw. Isn't that something? And so God says you need to look through the lenses of faith. I know it's impossible, but I'm the God of the impossible. And you knew that, like you've taken me up on it. I've been doing impossible things your entire life. Now you want to get to this impossible task and say, this one is too impossible for God. Is my hand too short for this one? Like, why did you come to the conclusion that I couldn't perform a miracle with this one? Like I did with the others. And I think that anger God. No, absolutely. I think that that's why the sin of worry is such a big deal because if we're worrying if his worry is overtaking us and we're, we're fully given over to worry, then what are we not doing? We're not trusting the Lord. I think we talk about it sometimes that here in America, we're really some big babies <laughs> a lot of times. Right. Like we take the time out of our day to worry about things that ain't going to matter tomorrow. Now, for sure. Uh, some people call it, I don't know if I could say this, W-W. Worry warts. Yeah. I always uh, get tongue-tied when I try to say that. But yeah, some people are worry warts. They just find stuff to worry about. It, it, it isn't even on their radar. They just bring it up and they think through all of the possibilities of it. 
the remote contingencies, all of the what ifs. And I like to say, when you get in the world of the what ifs, you're on Satan's playground because he can take you wherever he wants in that realm. Also, when we look at our text, not only does it commend Caleb, it says in verse 37, the Lord was angry with me also on your account saying, not even you shall enter there. So Moses saying, I can't get in for my disobedience, but Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones who you said will become a prey and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good and evil shall enter there and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. And that's so powerful because this was their excuse. They said our children who can't fend for themselves. So they were being righteous, right? Hey, we're going to defend the helpless. We can't take our children and wives over there with those Nephilim, with those giants. They'll destroy us. They'll slaughter us. We need to protect our families. Does that sound familiar? And, make, and, and raise them up when we're ready. God called that evil. God called protecting your family evil. And is protecting your family evil? No, but it is when you're doing it with the wrong motives and you're not doing it from a position of worship and a position of faith. And I love when God strikes. He always strikes with irony. He said, oh, your children can't go in, huh? This is what will happen. You won't go in, but your children will. And that's what the second generation is. It's the children going in and not the people who said the children couldn't. And that's how God strikes all the time. When you tell him something can't happen, he'll show you it can. And that's what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy chapter one. Also here in verse 43, it says, so I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went up to the hill country. Because remember, when God said that they wouldn't enter and they disobeyed him, you know what the people said? They woke up in the morning and had a good idea. They said, man, we disobeyed God. We repent. We're going to go up there anyway and take the land because God said we could have it. And that's really how the flesh works. They're obeying the word of the Lord, but they're now doing it in the flesh on their own timetable, on their own will. And God doesn't honor that. They get their tails whooped. They weren't able to conquer the land because of this one word presumption. Like you can't presume on God, even if it's the will of God, like taking care of my family or bettering my life, getting things right and squared away, all good things. But if you do it presumptuously, that's sin. Like you can't presume upon the Lord. This is so critical. You have to do his will, his way. You can't do his will your way. That's going to turn a 11-day journey into a 40-year journey every time. And that's how chapter one ends out and we go into chapter two. And so in chapter two, we won't spend a lot of time here, but it talks about this in the wilderness. Let's look at verse 14. Now, at the time it took for us to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the brook, Zerit was 38 years until all the generation of men of war perished from within the camp as the Lord has sworn to them. Moreover, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from within the camp until they all perished. So 
this is it, bro. This is the summary. 38 years of wondering, 38 years of the men of war fighting. And why are they fighting? They're preparing a place for the younger generation. But why is it taking 38 years? Because God has to kill them off. And that blows all my circuits to say God is using the generation who is disobedient to help advance their children to go into the land. But it's taking 38 years because he's killing them all. Like, how would you feel if you were part of that generation? God is saying, look, you said your children wouldn't enter. They're going to enter. But I'm going to keep you man of war fighting to prepare for them to enter successfully. But I'm going to let it take 38 years because I got to kill you all. Man, it would be horrible seeing you like that. But you can try to look at it nobly and say, I'm doing this for my kid. <laughs> That's all you got left. That's the only thing you can pull. And basically, this is how chapter two rides out. And let's get this sobering statement. Look at this, verse 34. So we captured all of the cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivors. We took only the animals and the spools from the cities we, we, which we captured. And this is how chapter two ends. They left no survivors, but they had no casualties. So you see the supernatural nature of God upon them where they're at war, but they aren't losing anybody to death in war. And so God is still supernaturally providing for this nation. And that's what we are to grab from chapters one and two. Anything before we ride out there? No, I just want to, man, encourage us. The Lord has brought us to his son from many situations. And I fail a lot of times with worry or this is another one that this like worry is complaining. I find myself complaining sometimes, but that's not acting in faith, is it, Thea? Not at all. Yeah, I think that with worry and complaining, those are two of the most dangerous situations we can put us in if continued for a long period of time. Yeah. But we can also reach back in our memory bank and remember where we were before Christ. And no matter how many years we've been walking one or 20, the Lord has helped us even before we've come to Christ if we want to be real. So he's always been faithful. Man, and I'm going to grab those things that you're saying. I love that statement you coined, reach back in our memory banks. And it's so compatible with scripture because I think it's a sin to forget. Like when people were forgetful, people disobeyed God in scripture. And this is why God always says, remember, because he wants us to hide his word in our heart so that we could be people of faith. And so you hide his word in your heart. That's your memory bank. And you should be able to recall it in times of difficulty and in times even of the impossible when you're in a land. And I heard another good man say, we shouldn't complain because you know what? Every complaint is a complaint against God. And that's really the mic drop statement. And we'll ride out here and we'll catch you next time.